Hello, this is Mark Jarrett, and welcome back to the Marxism Podcast. My podcast, my isms, my ideas, but the world's stories. Today, I'm talking about Russia, as Donald Trump would say, the largest country in the world by landmass. Known for its violent history, freezing temperatures, toughness, sending the first man to space, losing the most amount of soldiers in World War II, Russian dolls, beautiful women, Putin, immaculate subway stations, palaces, and churches, meddling in the past American election, and drinking. That's right. As many of you probably know, it is no secret that Russia loves its vodka, or as Russians would say, vodka. Now, some of you may be wondering, Mark, why are you talking about drinking on the Marxism podcast? It's not a conflict. It's not a war. It's not a security issue. And you're right, but it is a public health issue, not only in Russia, but various countries around the world. So why talk about Russia's drinking in particular? Well, Russia has a fascinating history and relationship with alcohol that in some way actually shaped the country, and it plays a significant part in many Russians' lives, and unfortunately, deaths. The long journey of Russia's drinking history starts all the way back in the late 10th and early 11th century, and believe it or not, starts with religion. There was a struggle among the Russian Empire and what religion to adopt for the country, so the Russian prince at the time, Vladimir the Great, and his messengers now called diplomats in modern times, were on a mission to search in the civilized world what major religions would be best suited for Mother Russia. Well, after searching long and far, his messengers were completely mesmerized by Constantinople, which at the time was the center of the world connecting Asia to Europe. So his messengers settled on Islam. Vladimir the Great initially approved of Islam as the Muslim world was thriving at the time. However, Vladimir just had one bone to pick with Islam. Believe it or not, he rejected Islam over being forbidden to drink alcohol, claiming that, in quotes, drinking is the joy of all Russia, and we cannot exist without that pleasure. Fast forward now to 1648. Ivan the Terrible opened up kabaks, which were essentially state-owned bars in order to facilitate the heavy drinking going on in Russia in order to generate massive revenues for the monarchy. As a result, 30% of the Russian male population became in debt to the kabaks. By the time 1860 rolled around now, fast forward majorly, more than 40% of the Russian government's revenue came from vodka. As distillation methods improved, Russians took matters into their own hands, making their own vodka, and by 1913, 1 in 10 households were making their own vodka. By 1914, drunkenness was so common, Tsar Nicholas II made alcohol illegal, especially cracking down on household distilleries. In 1917, the Russian Revolution and Civil War happened, with Vladimir Lenin and his Bolsheviks coming out on top in which the mighty Soviet Union was born. Vladimir Lenin and his Bolsheviks, despite not being fans of the Tsars, both agreed on one thing, to keep alcohol banned. Now that stopped after Joseph Stalin became the next leader of the Soviet Union, where he abolished prohibition in 1925, and let me tell you, sending the message of there ain't no party like a communist party. And alcohol kicked off and maybe even harder than where it left, with vodka back on state-owned shelves, started filling the pockets of Stalin and his comrades, and in fact was used for the Soviet Union to pay for its socialist industrialization of the motherland. When Stalin died in 1953, many leaders recognized that Russia's drinking was out of control. 
Soviet leaders after Stalin, such as Nikita Khrushchev, Leonid Brezhnev, Yuri Antropov, and Konstantin Chernenko, all tried anti-drinking campaigns to reduce drunkenness. As drinking continued, by the late 1970s, the average life expectancy for a male was 61 years old in the Soviet Union as a result of alcohol abuse. Between the years of 1960 to 1987, alcohol abuse actually resulted in a population loss in Russia, losing roughly 30 to 35 million people to alcohol poisoning. To put that into perspective, that is the entire population of Canada disappearing in 27 years. And by the way, that is also more dead than roughly the 22 million Russians being killed in World War II, along with the two Chechen wars combined. In 1985, the last leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, tried coming to the rescue to stamp out drinking once and for all. Gorbachev launched a massive anti-drinking campaign and raising the price of alcohol, which showed some positive results with less drinking per capita leading to a lower crime rate and longer life expectancies in the beginning. But Russians shortly after took matters into their own hands once again and started making their own alcohol, which due to poorer distillation processes and a lack of resources in the Soviet Union at the time, led to a rise in alcohol-related deaths. When the Soviet Union fell in 1991, there was plenty of hope that a new Russia was going to emerge. The Iron Curtain had officially fallen. Democracy and capitalism had beaten communism. Of course, Russians were happy to think that oppression was over and freedom was coming their way, but many people were fearful of the fact that there was no certainty on what Russia's next steps were going to be. What was the new Russia going to look like? The country's GDP was believed to have fallen 40%, and the Russian ruble fell 99% against the American dollar between 1991 and 2001. This resulted in a massive power vacuum to be filled. Organized crime, along with black markets for alcohol, ran rampant, and no surprise here, but due to the economic chaos, drinking skyrocketed in the beginning of establishing the new Russian Federation. This is partially due to, like the Russian ruble, vodka prices plummeting during this time as a result of growing competition leading to overproduction and dropping the prices of vodka due to it no longer being monopolized by the state. On the cusp of when the Soviet Union was about to fall, the average monthly income in December of 1990 would buy 10 liters of vodka. Four years later, in 1994, the average Russian monthly income could buy a whopping 47 liters of vodka due to the massive drop in relative prices as a result of the collapse of the Soviet Union and its economy. And if you were buying vodka from organized crime at the time, you were probably buying even more. From 1990 to 1994, the life expectancy in Russia dropped 6.2 years from where it was to 57.6 years of age. Some of it was a result of binge drinking to death and, in other cases, suicide. During this time, probably the most alcoholic politician of all time, the very first president of the Russian Federation, Boris Yeltsin, ironically tried implementing more drinking laws despite getting rid of state monopolization on alcohol. Shockingly, but not really, it backfired. Due to poor regulation of those laws, 90,000 people died in 1997 alone as a result of ruthlessly abusing alcohol. Now let's hop over the border to the 21st century. In 2009, Dmitry Medvedev was president of Russia and considered drinking to be a national calamity. He raised the price of vodka substantially and, believe it or not, in 2011, in order to reduce Russia's drinking, signed and passed a bill that classified beer as an alcoholic beverage. Pause. Pause. 
That's right. Up until 2011, beer was classified as food in Russia. In fact, anything with an alcohol percentage of 10% or lower was classified as food. Let's let that sink in. Now, what was the result of passing this law? Well, let's start with the good news. Over the last decade, vodka sales have decreased by 40%. But for the bad news, beer sales actually increased by 30% over the last decade. So what is Russia's drinking state now? As a result of these laws, vodka consumption substantially decreased, leading to a decline in alcohol-related deaths. But things still have a long way to go. According to the World Health Organization, there are roughly 20 million alcoholics out of a country of 150 million in Russia. According to former Interior Minister of Russia Rashid Nergaliev claimed that in 2009, in quotes, in Russia, each person, including babies, accounts for about 18 liters of spirits per year. In the opinion of World Health Organization experts, consumption of more than 8 liters per year poses a real threat to the health of the nation. Russia has long exceeded this level. To drop some more statistical bombs on you, in 2013, drunk driving accidents killed a little over 2,300 people. By comparison that year, terrorist attacks in Russia killed 57 people. After a drunk driving accident in Moscow in September of 2013, which killed seven people, on the same day, the Russian Duma proposed new laws to make drunk driving a crime, because before it was considered merely an administrative offense. The Supreme Court actually turned down this law, claiming it was too severe. Instead, a new proposal was made that passed, which involved a four times higher fine for drunk driving, and for fatal accidents, it was classified then as a criminal offense. While there has been some progress made, the life expectancy of men in Russia is 64 years of age, ranking amongst the lowest 50 countries in the world. And as I said before, the life expectancy in the 1970s was 61 years of age. So, not much of a difference. Or progress, really. This also raises an interesting question. If alcohol abuse is attributable to lowering the life expectancy this much in Russia, what percentage of deaths in Russia do you think are a result of alcohol abuse? 10? 15? 20? Well, it's 30. 30% 30 of all deaths in Russia are alcohol-related, whether it's alcohol poisoning, cirrhosis of the liver, car accidents, or even suicide, showing that, sure, progress has been made in regards to life expectancy, but Russia still has a long way to go. So why is alcoholism such a national public health problem in Russia? Some people provide simple answers, such as a researcher from the Russian Cancer Research Center named David Zaridze, who simply claims that, in quotes, Russians have always drank a lot. They sometimes say it's because of the cold weather, but this is just an excuse. This is the nation's lifestyle that needs to change. Well, obviously. But other problems on why Russia has been dealing with alcoholism so long are their treatment programs and their lack of effectiveness. They simply are not emphasized to the degree as they are in other countries. As an example, Alcoholics Anonymous does exist in Russia. However, it is not popular among the population, as the government doesn't endorse it very much. One interesting method that was popular at one time in Russia to rid a person of alcoholism was something called coding. And yes, it is exactly how it sounds. Therapists essentially pretend to put a thought into someone's brain where they feel that if they were to drink alcohol, something lethal or harmful would happen to them if they consume it just one more time. 
However, this method has become increasingly unpopular, and there's no surprise there, as it doesn't really work. But let's swing things back to my lengthy rant on the history of alcohol abuse in Russia, as if that wasn't long enough. What about this reason? Russia, in some ways, was built off of alcohol. Many of their culture and society is simply alcohol-centric. Alcohol is the reason why, as I mentioned before, Vladimir the Great didn't pick Islam to be the main religion of Russia because of the different stances on alcohol. It helped kickstart the Soviet Union into an age of industrialization. Many believe vodka got soldiers through the Battle of Stalingrad. There is almost an allure with vodka when it comes to Russian history. It helped pick Russia's religion, advanced its economy, and was used to fight in one of the deadliest and bloodiest battles in history making it appealing to partake in drinking and being a part of something that built your country. Alcohol is like a double-edged sword in Russia. It is essentially a unifying force in the country while also causing great harm. It's like telling Canadians to stop eating poutine, not to be confused with Putin, of course. It's slowly clogging your arteries, but it's so good particularly after a night of slamming a few drinks to your face. And speaking of which, before anyone who's done listening to this may criticize Russia's drinking habits, while researching this topic, I feel that I should throw this in here. But in my home country of Canada, according to a report in 2010 from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, the average Russian drinks approximately 68 liters of beer, 12 liters of spirits, and 7 liters of wine per year, while the average Canadian drinks 50 liters of beer, 4.3 liters of spirits, and 10 liters of wine per year. It's clear that Canadians drink less than Russians, but not a lot less. In fact, Canadians actually drink 50% above the global average. And did you know that Canada last year was ranked number one in the highest percentage of alcohol-related vehicle deaths in the world amongst wealthy countries, sitting pretty at 34%. So as the holidays are approaching and people are drowning their bellies full of booze, be careful on the roads, don't drink too much, and if you do, call an Uber or a cab. And on that public service announcement is probably a good time to wrap this podcast up. By the way, the Marxism Podcast is now on iTunes, so download for your morning commute or anything else that involves your travel. So go check that out. Also, please like, share, comment, or subscribe. Let me know what you think. Thank you for listening, and as always, hope you learned something new today. This has been Mark Jarrett of the Marxism Podcast, and I am out of here.